Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, welcome to the Chronic Podcast off-season series. I'm your host, Ralph Marlboro. It's early in the week, and we're joined by Andrew Duge of the Saints Nation. Uh, Andrew, you don't have any game tape to review um, but we do have some Saints news, uh, a little bit. Doug Marone, he got hired as a Buffalo coach. Um, I don't know why going 25 and 25 at Syracuse gets you an NFL job. Um, but people, I mean, Sean Payton gave him good, good write-up and the times picking saying he's ready. Um, he did a really good job with the Saints offensive line. I mean, the Saints offensive line was good, you know, before Cromer got there. Um, the interesting thing is Doug Marone, in his press conference at Buffalo – I'm a nerd and a loser. I watched it. Uh, he said, I want coordinators that have NFL experience and have run their side of the ball because I'm not going to be calling plays. I want an offensive co- my offensive coordinator is going to call plays. My defensive coordinator, he's going to run his thing, and I'm going to be overseeing it and coaching the coaches is, is how he put it. Um, so to me, that means if I'm Doug Marone – I'm making a run at Cromer, or I'm making a run at Carmichael for the Saints. Your yeah. thoughts? Your thoughts on if one or both of them would go to Buffalo? I don't think so. I don't think either of them would because um, you know, first of all, with Carmichael, he can't offer him anything um, that the Saints don't offer him already. Um, Pile so, of money. Um, at, at best, he's offering him a lateral move. I guess you could argue that. Um, there's a couple guys that are considered odds-on favorites over him to get it. Um, but being looked at by the Bears and being interviewed as a head coach for a head, for an NFL team is a big deal. And so, um, you know, I don't think Carmichael wants to take a step back. You know, I think he feels like he's pretty close right now to, to landing a pretty a premier job. So um, I, I think there's low risk with him. Uh, with Cromer, with I mean, I, I think he'd be stupid to, to – let Cromer call the place. I mean, I think Cromer has shown that he's an excellent um, offensive line coach. He's shown that he's a poor head coach. And uh, I don't know that he's ready or prepared to um, install an offense on a brand-new team and be able to call play successfully uh, with mediocre players. Um, and yeah. that's what the Bills have right now. So, um, you know, I – if he were offered the job, should he take it? Absolutely. I mean, it's a step up, and he's never going to be the offensive coordinator for the Saints. So, uh, based on that, I think you know he, he would maybe be well served to take it. But again, he's been really successful with the Saints, and it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's you don't want to move laterally to a team with with a roster that has weaker players that has yeah. a mediocre you know unit. Where with the Saints, you know, next year he can send Jari Evans to the Pro Bowl again. Maybe Bushrod. I mean, maybe Bill Puente. He's a rising player. So, you know, you, maybe Ben Grubb. So you, you've got players there that have the potential to go to the Pro Bowl in an offensive line that produces 
um, that's only going to boost his resume. So um, I'd be surprised, honestly, if either left. But Marone has got some familiarity with those guys, so I'm sure he'll make a run at him. But um, for me right now, I mean, you, you look, Rob Ryan got fired today. Uh, I, I think that's a no-brainer because the Bills actually have some talent on defense, and, and you know, he may be able to, to produce with that. So I, I look at that immediately as a candidate um, for the Bills, and I'm sure they'll make a run at him. Wait, who got who got fired today? Rob Ryan with the Cowboys. Oh, Rob Ryan. I was thinking. I was thinking Rex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. I mean, I say I think you're right. And look, you know, head coach. Look, everybody cares about money. You know, from Nick Saban to you to me, we all care about money. So money does matter. But I think money for coaches, they don't really start to really worry about it until they get a head coaching job because if you're Aaron Cromer you're probably working 70 hours a week and you're making a you know a couple hundred thousand with the Saints maybe even I don't know maybe 400 to 600,000 it's not like you get to enjoy all that money anyway they, coaches like them they're so driven they want the head coaching job and like you said Aaron Cromer maybe he should take it but to me Andrew they're they are both probably one more really good Saints season from getting a head coaching job. Like, they're starting to knock on the door, knock on the door. And if the Saints bust out and go 12-4 and four next year, I could see a college team uh, or NFL team going after them. Especially, they've both interviewed for Boston College. I could see a team, like, on the East Coast wanting Aaron Cromer. And Aaron Cromer's a young-looking guy. I mean, maybe he'll, maybe he'll be a good fit at a college coach. You never know. So I just think, yeah. you go to Buffalo, I mean – Buffalo's a freaking Buffalo's a freaking wasteland, and going to Buffalo and being mediocre will do ten times as much damage as Aaron Cromer going two and four with the Saints. I mean, look, there, there's a as long list, Ralph, of of examples of places that coaches stay away from. I mean, numerous college coaches um, that have refrained from going to the NFL to avoid the kind of death march situation, you know, and, and yeah. And, you know, you go to Buffalo, it's a buzzsaw. I mean, why do you think the Jaguars struggle to get – I mean, they've gotten second-rate coaches that have already failed in the NFL like Malarkey um, because um, they they can't land anyone else. I mean, look at the Saints. If Sean Payton didn't want to go there. He yeah. desperately wanted to go to the Packers and really didn't want to go to the New Orleans because it was a crappy situation. Katrina had just happened. Um, you know, there were questions about the Superdome, questions about the fan base, questions about the city. And, um, you know, now that's an extreme case, but, but a lot of coaches are like, you know, I'd rather stay put than, than go into a crappy situation. And, you know, I'll hopefully, you know, and a lot of these, these college coaches, you know, they're successful. You look at Kelly with Oregon, he decided to stay there another year because, um, you know, the NFL jobs that were presented to him, he just felt like they weren't the right situation. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of these coaches can afford to be picky. And, uh, you know, in Sean Payton's case, I mean, if, if you get a head coaching job, you got to take it. If you're not a head coach and you get that opportunity, I don't care where it is, you, you have to go for it because the salary and the opportunity is just too good. Yeah. Um, but I feel Although like Sean, Payton, coaches, Sean Payton did turn down Al Davis for the head yeah, coach of the well, Raiders. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, even then, you know, again, it's a situation yeah. that you have to work with. Um, so, there's no question about it. You know, I, I, I think I, I'd be surprised to see the Saints lose many assistants to Doug Marone. Yeah, I mean, it it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting. 
the Bears have interviewed like 20 people for that job. I think you interview tomorrow. Um, so if you get hired, uh, make me like a vice president or something. Um, uh, so the oh, ba- dude, you're my defensive coordinator. Yeah, I know, right? I uh, actually one of my one of my one of my I I read uh, I read Spencer Hall from Every Day Should Be Saturday, and he had his like you know college football's over. What am I going to do now? And he had a couple interesting things on his list to do, and I'm going to steal them from him. He's like, I want to learn blocking schemes. So I have bought myself a book on Kindle, and I'm going to learn offensive line blocking schemes. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the off season, uh, and get like 10% more wonky, so it'll be 10% less jokes and 10% more uh, blocking schemes for my columns. Um, you know, and look, I-, I said it in you know my column. If the Saints lose coaches, it will damage them terribly going into 2013 because Sean Payton's not coming back till after the Super Bowl. I mean, it's just not happening for whatever reason. Um, so I mean, they hopefully nobody will leave, and I think you, I think you're right. I think I think they're probably not going to leave, and, and like I said, I think they're a couple of years away, which is which is really good for the Saints because say what you want about the defensive staff and Spagnuolo and all that, but that offensive staff is good, and I mean it, it may not be as good as it was, you know, last year because Curtis Johnson was really good. I mean, when you had Curtis Johnson and Cromer and Carmichael, I mean Andrew. I would put those three assistants against any staff in the NFL as far as offensive minds. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I still think Henry Ellard's a, a solid receivers coach. Um, you know, maybe not on Curtis Johnson's level. Um, but, uh, no, I, I still think Cromer has done, you know, he, he kind of he whiffed as a head coach, um, but, but that was a horrible situation for him. Yeah, I don't think and, – I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think teams will hold that against them Andrew and I could even see him in a in a in an interview with a team if he, I mean if he's a charismatic guy sort of flipping it around and making it a positive cuz he could say look yeah I was an interim coach for 6 weeks and uh you know it didn't go as well as I had hoped but I have that experience all these other people that you are interviewing they have never been on the sideline and run it, 
you think you know, but you don't know until you're actually doing it. And I got six weeks of it, and I know now what it takes. And before, I didn't have any idea what it was like to be on the sideline and have the challenge flag in my pocket, and everybody's looking to you when the shit goes wrong. But I've done it for six weeks. You know, so yeah, you should you should run you should write his uh, interview speech. I should I should I should be like a life coach. Um, but uh, you know, so we'll we'll no, see. How- if I get hired, Ralph, for the for the Bears, Bears job, and my my interviews next week, I, I just want to tell you, you'll be my defensive coordinator, and I want to throw this out there right now that I'm bringing back the fetch monster. And he will be my equipment manager. He will fetch monster. You're bringing him back. I like it. Um, let's get to um, the your. You did your final grades of the year. So this is kind of a look back, Andrew. And we were talking before the show started. You had some really, really interesting things uh, about the grades and just some some stats and some overall feel. Give your give before we get into individual players. Give 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 me the bullet points that you were giving me before we before we kicked off the show today. Uh, well, I, I think it was interesting that of the 35 returning graded players. Um, so obviously, you know, of a roster of 53, there was some changeover. There were some new players graded. Um, but of 50 of 35 guys that were graded last year and graded again this year, 25 of them had worse grades than the previous year. And, you know, you're comparing a 13-3 and three team to a 7-9 and nine team, so you expect that. That's not a huge surprise. Um, but some of the, the disparities were pretty glaring. Now, uh, I wonder if in my old age and my kids are a year older, so maybe I've just gotten more moody and a little, little angrier and a little more bitter. So <laughs> maybe I'm harder on the Saints than, than, uh, I, than I used to be in terms of grading. But um, so only 10 guys graded better, and, and of the 10 that graded better, most of them were marginal. Um, you had a couple guys that had significant improvements. Um, interestingly enough, the best grade w- was Morstead, um, which you'd expect. Um, his grades were much lower than last year, um, and I, most people would say, how can that be? That's crazy. He almost broke the net average. Um, but if you remember last year, he actually broke an NFL record, um, or sorry, two years ago. Um, and that was the kickoff record, and, and he didn't kick off as well this year, and so um, I, I think that was maybe part of it. Um, but uh, anyway, he was still the top-graded player on the Saints. Number two is actually Garrett Hartley. Wow. And I know that there's a lot of negative sentiment mm-hmm. about Hartley, but uh, he actually ended the year 18 for 22 on field goals. Um, so um, I'm sure we, we all remember a few kicks that make us angry, particularly the Packers game. Um, but overall, he had a very, very solid season as well. So um, those two graded out great, um, and obviously uh, some great, some players graded out not well at all. Yeah, well, um, to, but, to, um, to be fair to Hartley, the kick in Green Bay, it went from what? It was a 47-yard field goal, and he drilled it down the middle, and then they had the – or. Or was it a? It was a forty-two. It was a forty-two-yard. It went from four. It went from forty-three to forty-eight, or something like that. No. Well, it was a holding penalty, so it went, it went from forty-three to fifty-three, right? Oh, you're they, right. Yeah. Because they got right. Dave Thomas. So I mean, that was not. That was not. I mean, that you can you can bang on him if you want, and you know you're a kicker. You got to make that kick. If you want to bang on him for the Dallas kick that he missed from like thirty yards, where the Saints went on like a five-year drive. Um, you can bang on him for that, but I thought Hartley was okay. You know, I mean, he did he what was the- solid. I mean, he was solid. I mean, he, he his career average um, of makes is outstanding, 
and I believe he was just above that career average this yeah. season. So, yeah. and we got 16 games out of him. So, um, I, I don't honestly, I don't get it. I, I don't get the negative, um, the negative thoughts surrounding Hartley. I, I personally thought he he was very solid this year. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Keep going if you can remember what you were. Oh um, no no um, no just just that uh, you know some of the uh, some of the grades were were poor um, but you know as you would suspect Breeze um, Vilma um, Patrick Robinson and um, Jimmy Graham were some of the ones that had major major drop offs. Yeah, I mean, what about the uh, let's talk about the defense? I'm sure that was fun doing your season final grades. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you know, generally, um, you know, I, I, here's kind of how I view my grades, and you know, I've gotten complaints about this in the past. Like, you, you can't, you can't compare it apples to apples with, um, you know, a school GPA. In other words, if you're really smart, you graduate with a 4.0 or a 387. Uh, you know, players, you know, the way my grading scale works, that, that no player is going to be that high because it, it assumes you get an A every time. And in the NFL, it's, it's impossible to, to have yeah. a performance each week. So um, I, the way the grading scale works, anything over 3-0, I consider outstanding. Yeah. Um, and there were several people that had that last year, and this year only Hartley and, and Morstead had it. Um, anything over 2.5 is, is solid. Um, you yeah. know, so that you're basically saying that C-plus consistently are better. Now, I, you know, when I start the grades, every player starts at a C and I'm like, yeah. okay, that's average. And so if they have a good play, I, I bump them up to C plus and then B minus and then B. Yeah. And if they have a negative play, I bump them and take down. And so, but they all start at C. And so anything, I feel like, you know, C is a 2.0. So anything above that is, is okay. But I, I feel like anything above 2.5 is a guy that's consistently getting above C. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel like a guy for a whole season, that has a GPA, you know, above 2.5 is doing pretty well. Um, anything below 2.5 starts to get pretty poor. Anything below 2.0 is obviously piss poor. Um, so the highest graded defensive player, no surprise, was Lofton, um, and he was like in the 2.7. So um, that's pretty low. For, to, to have your highest graded guy um, around 2.7 was pretty disappointing. Um, but defensively, Ralph, uh, the thing that I thought was most interesting was of the four lowest qualified graded players in my – when I say qualified, I mean they had to play at least four – they had to have at least four games where I graded them because, you know, if a guy plays one game and gets an A, that's not fair to, to compare him to everyone else. So, um, Or if he gets an F after one game, you know, it's not fair to say he was the worst player on, on the season. So um, of the qualifiers, the three – Three of the four worst were cornerbacks. And once again, that kind of alerted me to, yes, the pass rush is bad, and yes, that exposes them, but I actually feel like this defense's problem is cornerback play and cornerback depth more so, um, maybe even than the linebackers or, or the pass rush, all, all of which was admittedly bad. Um, but those, those people were Corey White, Patrick Robinson, and uh, Johnny Patrick. And Johnny Patrick, I believe, was the lowest grade player on the team. Um, so that to me is pretty alarming, and um, they're going to have to do something in the off season to to correct that. Yeah, um, but when we talked about it during the year, you know, you said, look, the, the 0-4 start, it was it was a lot of things 
you know, into it, obviously. But one of the main on-field things was Corey White was playing. And right. And they were just I, – I mean, I forgot how you laid it out, but how you explained it after a couple of weeks. But basically, the Jets the, – and you know, interrupt me if I'm wrong, but basically your gist was quarterbacks were coming to the line and looking where Corey White was and basically pointing at him, laughing, and then throwing towards him. <laughs> that's that's essentially it. Um, so it, it doesn't surprise me, but you know, and it, look, the thing is, Curtis Lofton, he was a really, really good acquisition for the Saints, and he's a guy that if the Saints had a couple of blue chip people around him or in front of him, he'd be a really, really good player and he'd look even better. And he'd probably you'd probably bump him up. He's probably to me, Andrew, like a like if you have if he's like the third best guy in your defense, he's pretty good and he'll look like a Pro Bowl player. Especially like if you slide him between two really good linebackers or you or you put two really good ends in front of him, he'll look really good. But with the Saints, he's their best guy, so he looks like a B minus, B you know, B minus player, which is really good on the Saints defense. Yeah. No, I, I mean it's he's the best player on the worst defense in NFL history. So Um well, you should call, you know, it gets angry who that mad. He's, you know, don't say worst defense in NFL history. Say they gave up the most yards in NFL history because worst defense, that's an opinion. Um, right. Well, which is universally viewed as the worst defense in yeah. NFL history. Yeah. I mean, like, the angry who that lives in a dif- different universe where, um, you know. Yeah. The, well, the statistics that apply to, um, you know, football amongst anyone that watches it are, are suspended. Well, I think – I like the way Wang put it in his last post. You know, you can say, are they the worst ever? Are they the worst? They're the worst in Saints history, and they gave up more yards in the Jason David defenses than the 1-15 in defense from 1980. All of them, you know? So um, – but we love the angry Houdat, and if Atlanta uh, makes us all happy this weekend and loses, um, he's coming on the podcast next week, and I will just say, go right ahead, and he will just – Vent and laugh for thirty minutes, and then I'll hit uh, I'll hit stop and I'll upload it, and it'll be glorious. Um, yeah, you should do it like you know those guys used to do with Buddy D, where, <laughs> where they'll, uh, they'll 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 ask their question and they say, "All right, I'll hang up and listen." Yeah, you kind of do it like that, like All right, you know, Dominic, I'm giving you the floor, and I, I'm I'm just gonna hang up and let you run with the podcast. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a good idea. It'll be, it'll be rever- the, whatever the reverse is, I'll hang up and listen. Whatever the reverse of that is when the host does it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, anything else about the grades? The, the funny thing was that I saw well, – not funny, but interesting thing was I always thought uh, Brian De La Puente struggled, but according to Pro Football uh, Focus – he had the Saints' highest grade on run blocking. So, is he has he become a guy, Andrew? That last year he sort of he got it. He got the job kind of by default because Tenet was Tenet was a bust as a draft pick. You know, he's a fifth round guy, but he was a guy the Saints were grooming, and it didn't work out to replace Goodwin. Olin Cruz was he had a fork in him, and he just he just packed up and quit. So it was kind of like okay, it's your it's your job, guy. Is he a guy that you are completely comfortable with going into 2013 and saying he's the guy? Oh, absolutely. Especially 
with their cap problems and the fact that he's cheap labor. I mean, he's an undrafted free agent, and he's mm-hmm. costing him $300,000 a year. So, um, absolutely. Um, he's played well. Uh, I didn't have him graded as high as PFF, you know, because when I grade – now, PFF goes to a further level of detail than I do. They, they grade yeah. players on how they are run blocking and how they are pass blocking independent of each other. Um, I rope it all in together. You know, how, how – how is he playing in a game as a whole? And yeah. I, I grade the game as a whole, including both facets. So, um, you know, he made some mistakes in passing, pass um, protection, and 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 run and run blocking. You know, mostly in pass protection that um, you know cost him to get a, a worse grade. But um, uh, he, he did great. I think third best on the line. He, he was behind the two guards, but ahead of uh, Bushrod and, and Streif, of course. Um, so he, he had a decent year, and um, I've got no beef with uh, with him. I, I think he's. I, I think the offense as a whole is fine. You know, they, they underperformed compared to last year, but um, I really do believe they're a healthy Nick Tune and maybe another speedster. You get rid of Henderson, um, and you bring everybody else back, um, and, and they're fine. You know, and and uh, I, I think the next question really is they're four deep at running back. You know, I don't really count Cadet because um, he's more of a utility player. But they're four deep at running back. Um, I wonder if um, it's time to part ways with either Ivory or Ingram, pick one of the two, and, and see if you can't get a defensive player um, You know that, that's worth something um, in exchange. I don't think you can get um, – I don't think you could get anything for Ivory. Um, Saints fans really like him, but if another team, they're going to be like, we're not giving you anything for Ivory. He's a restricted free agent. Well, maybe maybe we'll sign him to an offer sheet that you can't match. It'll make it really difficult. But we're not giving you anything for him. He's injured all the time. You know. Um, sure. Um, now for Ingram, I think you could get a. You might be able. You might be able to get a guy that's been a disappointment for another team. Like they say, hey, we have this corner, or we have this defensive end who's kind of been a disappointment for us. Ingram has been a disappointment for you. Let's swap disappointments. Um, I don't know. I feel like they could maybe get a third or fourth round pick. I mean, ooh, he's still I still got first round first round pick value. Um, or he was a first round pick, so I think that returns third or fourth round value. I think. I think he showed enough this year that teams believe, you know, the kind of the Dave Cariello theory that, um, you know, if you commit to him and you keep giving him the ball, eventually it's going to get better. Maybe, well, maybe. I mean, I could see a team like Green Bay, maybe. If they, you know, if they go to San Francisco, I mean, I know they had a, a running back. I don't even know his name. He looked pretty good against Minnesota. I mean, I guess if they really would struggle against San Francisco and in the running game they feel like that would kill them, maybe they'd say, hey, we'll give you a third or fourth run pick for Ingram. Which, you know, depending on what the commissioner, depending on what the commissioner does, Andrew, um, you know, if he says, "Hey, Saints, I'm giving you back the second round pick, but I'm taking away a third, or I'm taking away a fourth, depending depending on what he does, I'd be willing to think about giving up Ingram for a third or a fourth round pick. Um, but you know, if if Goodell says, "Hey, I'll give you the second round pick back, and I'll I'm taking away a six, or I'm taking away a five, I wouldn't because I just I just like the idea of having all these running backs because my way of thinking in the NFL, you're going to need them. Like they're all going to come to play. They're all going to get in there eventually, probably. So I like I like to have the depth of that position, and I'm not willing to I'm not willing to swap that depth for a fourth round pick. 
but yeah, maybe that, that, no, yeah, that's defensible. I, I think at some point though, you're you're strapped for cash, and yeah. you kind of got to blow up blow up the defense. I mean, there's going to be significant turnover um, on the defensive end, yeah. and um, they they may blow it up completely. Um, you know, so it, it's going to be you know an eventful off season. I really believe that. Um, you know, between players getting cut, um, restructuring deals. And uh, we're going to see – I mean, I think that the Saints offense is going to go largely untouched. Um, the only real big question mark with that is left tackle. If they, you know, and I think Bushrod will hopefully come back. But uh, that, that, that's the one big question mark. And then defensively, it, it, I think that there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, I mean, it'll see. I think, you know, you've sort of converted me over to the theory that, hey, the cap issues aren't as grave as people make them out to be. Mickey Loomis can always finagle it. They'll create some room, and they'll get some free agents. Um, you know, and like you said, look, the Saints are in sort of a or in in a win now mode, which means some teams wouldn't be willing. You know, like a Kansas City, they're not going to say we're playing for now because they're picking first. But the Saints will more than will be more than happy if a defensive guy falls out of the sky, and they can get him at their price, the Saints are more than willing to redo some deals and say, you know what, we're going to redo a bunch of deals, but we can get O.C. Yumanura, or we can get, I don't know, just pie in the sky, Buffalo cuts Mario Williams or something. We can get Mario Williams or whoever, and you know what? In three years, we are going to be fucked. But yeah. screw it. It's Drew Brees' prime. We'll worry about 2016 when it's 2016. We're trying to get another trophy. And, yeah, and, no, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think at some point you reach the point of no return where you're like, okay, our, our highest paid players aren't producing anymore. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's the point. When you reach that point and you're up against the cap, you're like, okay, we, we need to fix our cap problem. So it, yeah. it's time to blow it up and reload. Get the cap to where we can start adding players get a bunch of high draft picks so we can reload with some young talent. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's what the Colts did. And, and uh, unbelievably, um, they they made the playoffs in, in year one of their kind of re- retooling phase. And so um, they're going to be good next year too. But, um, you know, I, I think for the Saints, they're, they're not there. I think, you know, they're going to have to revamp their defense some and they're, they're going to have to get younger and more talented. Um, but, Breeze is the one that's making the most money, and and um, he's like you said, he's still in his prime, and uh, the offense is still a top five NFL offense, and you can win with that. Um, so they just need to get this defense a little bit better. So um, you know, like you said, the cap is going to rear its ugly head when the Saints decide um, it's time to do it. You know, and it's time to blow it up, and it's time to. Um, move on, and, and until Drew Brees is with the Saints, I feel like they're going to try to push that problem as far back as possible. Yeah, and I think I think you know that time it, in football, it usually it's not like baseball where it's kind of gradual and people age gracefully. In football, it's kind of like it boom, it happens, and you're like, here it is. It like with the Colts, they had it with Peyton Man- like. I mean, granted, Peyton Manning got injured and he missed the whole year. But that's how football kind of goes. Like, I think that's what's happened with the Steelers. Like, the Steelers are just freaking – they were a playoff team, and now they're old and beat up. And it just sort well, of happened. I'll tell you this, Ralph. You know, Loomis is in place. 
Loomis has had a plan all along. Loomis isn't going anywhere. Um, so from that standpoint, I think you, you'd be glad that you're a Saints fan and you've got a stable yeah. GM that's largely regarded as a guy that knows how to massage the cap, and you know, he'll keep doing that. If you look at the Panther situation, they're screwed because not only are they a bad team with poor players and awful contracts, but and I realize they went seven and nine and beat the Saints twice, so you know I, I should, probably shouldn't run my mouth about yeah. them too much, but they just fired their GM. Their cap situation is worse than the Saints, and now they've got to figure out what to do about these overpriced players yep. like Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams and all and Steve Smith and all these aging old players that aren't producing up to what they're being paid. And, you know, if, if they got the roster and get rid of all these guys, it's not like they can bring in some other guy with talent because they, they got to shed all this weight just to break even. Yeah, and I mean uh, – their cap situation is a death trap, and they don't have stability at GM like the Saints. So when they hire this new guy, he's not going. It's not going to be his plan. He's going to he's yep. going to walk into a mess. Yeah, and that's the same thing with the Jets. The Jets are having a hard time finding a, finding somebody that wants the job because they probably go interview me, and they're like, "Hey, let me see your books," and they're like, "Holy mother of God!" Whereas Mickey Loomis, he did all these moves last year with Drew Brees and signing Lofton and signing all these people that we didn't think he would get. He did it knowing what was going to have to be done this year. So I'm sure he did all these moves and said, we're going to do all this, we're going to do A, and then we're going to do B, and we're going to be okay in 2013. You know? yeah. and, but, when, and when we lose Carl Nix and when, when we milk Drew Brees for every penny that he was worth until the very end um, before signing him to a long-term deal, remember how angry you were when that news broke? Well, this is worth paying dividends. This yeah. is the point. And, and, you know, later on, you start to see why Loomis did those things the way he did. And you've got to assume he saved some millions on Drew Brees yeah. by not just – and so many fans were clamoring, saying, pay Brees what he wants, pay him now, just whatever he wants, just stroke a check, get, you know, hand over a blank check. Um, and Loomis didn't do that. He milked, he milked the situation. And uh, the Saints cap, while not good, is at least in better shape than it would have been had he done that. Yeah, and I mean, they'll, they'll, you know, look, probably, to me, in the best-case scenario for the Saints, is they make some moves, they get another trophy, you know, maybe get another two trophies, who knows, in the next four years. But in, like, probably in, like, four years, they're going to make some move that's going to be really reckless, and in like 2016 or 2017, we're going to be like, ah, that move to sign O.C. Mignor, eh, it's fucking him now. But, and you'll be like, but Ralph, but Ralph, remember the two sacks he had in the NFC Championship game in 2014? You'd be like, yeah, totally worth it. You know? Yeah. So, and look, look, I mean, we, we saw it happen to the Colts. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw what happened to a team that was literally good for a decade. They, they imploded. Completely last year. I mean, the, the perfect team, time, by 62, the way, sixty-two to seven, and I mean it was just an absolute debacle of a season. Now they're fortunate; they got the first pick overall, and they hit Yahtzee with Andrew Luck. I mean, he didn't have an amazing season, but I think every Colts fan is feeling pretty good about yeah. Andrew Luck going into next year now after a year under his belt. 
and uh, he was able to lead that team to the playoffs um, despite, you know, a, a rough coaching situation. So, um, and, you know, the Colts, I mean, their, their coaching situation was not all that different from the Saints. I mean, different circumstances, but, um, you know, still, I mean, pretty impressive what they were able to do um, with, uh, you know, Arian stepping in. So, yeah, I will I will say this. I think the Colts are going to regress next year because they were like, I think they were six, I agree. They were 6-0 and in games decided by seven points or less. Right, and their offensive line. If you watch that playoff game, which I'm sure all the people that listen to this podcast did, their offensive line is atrocious. Um, so I think they'll regress next year because they were like, according to the I metrics, think that's like fair. But yeah, I mean, so I so what? Fair, I mean, but my my point remains. Yeah. I mean, they were fortunate. I mean, once yeah. you blow it up, a lot of times year two is not that pretty. No, um, but there's going to be a time where Brady is going to retire. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a time where Breeze is done. Um, and, and the same thing's going to happen to the Patriots, and the same thing is going to happen to the Saints. And, and you just hope that when that time comes, um, you're strong. You have a strong enough foundation that, like the Colts, you can rebound after a year and, and get back to being relevant. But um, you know that, that's the price you pay for for a decade of good football. And the 49ers, um, after a decade of good football, I mean, you remember God how bad they were with Elvis like decades for them. Yeah, I mean, and so yeah, so that's the thing. I mean, when you when you're really bad, you get the good pick, and that's where you got to hope you're hitting with Andrew Lux instead of Jonathan Sullivan. Yeah, I mean, um, we'll 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 see. I think the issue with uh, the Colts is you, when you when when it burns to the ground and you got to blow it up, you want to you want it to be the year that like two and three franchise quarterbacks are coming out, like this year, not with like Kansas City. Where they're picking number one, and they're like, "Who the hell are we gonna pick?" Manti Teo, who got dump trucked by uh, Auburn, you know, last night, and look, Alabama, uh, Alabama, uh, Alabama, yeah, sorry. Uh-huh. And uh, to me, I would rather linebacker. I'd rather mentor for LSU than Manti Teo, but maybe I'm biased. Um, Andrew, before we get out of here, uh, I want to bring up a subject, and it might be touchy to some people. Could get a little heated, maybe, um, but, and I think I'm going to write a column about it for this week for WWL. I think it's time to say goodbye and put Get Crunk to rest and, and not play it anymore when the Saints score a touchdown. Look, it's awesome. When I hear it, it brings back memories. It was fun. It was fun for three years, but eventually something that's fun and gimmicky and all that Eventually, it it goes from cool to uh, Gangnam Style or the Macarena or, to put it in football terms, look, the Saints had cha-ching in the 90s. We still don't do cha-ching. We don't do who let the dogs out. You know, eventually, you just got to move on. And it's not like I'm, I have a replacement for Get Crunk after the touchdown, but something will come along and it'll be just as fun. But it's just, it's time to sort of put it in the, in the time capsule and remember it for 2009. I don't want to be doing Get Crunk in 2014. I'm with you. I, I think it's Crunk. It, all good things must come to an end, Ralph. Yep. And um, you, you always want it. It's like the Barry San, Sanders retirement. You know, you, you always want to end gracefully like that. And you, you want to hang something on the shelf with good memories, not let it get stale. You, know, you don't want it to become the career of Brett Favre, who, 
you know, in his last few seasons, just completely soiled his name and his reputation. Um, so, you know, and then, and honestly, Kronk is approaching that territory. Yeah, <laughs> it's it literally is. been out for so long and, and it's great when the Saints are winning and they win a Super Bowl and, you know, even last year when they were 13-3, and they don't win the Super Bowl, but it's fun because they're winning all the time and you're getting fired up. But the Saints lost a lot this year, and they lost a lot at home, and Kronk was a part of that. And so it doesn't have the winning tradition anymore. And, and uh, there's going to need to be, I think, I, I think it's time, you know, even though Sean Payton's coming back and we're still in the Sean Payton era and we'll be entering our seventh year, is that right, sixth? Eighth year? Eighth year. It'll be um, eighth, eighth year. Yeah, so we'll, we'll be entering our eighth year of his tenure. Um, but I, but I, I feel like kind of like the Katrina season, this season feels like a little bit of a rebirth. We'll yeah. see how much purging this seems to do with their roster. I mean, I, I think there's a good chance that we'll lose at least Vilma and Will Smith, who are some yeah. of the oldest veterans on the team, and Shanley and Henderson are some of the oldest veterans on the team, and Cedric Ellis, too, so... I mean, those five guys could easily be gone. So uh, I think we'll see some purging, and, you know, we'll finally be done, you know, with the exception of that second-round pick. I mean, that's kind of the last death blow that Goodell gave to the franchise. So um, once the draft is done, all of the bounty penalties and all that stuff is in the rearview mirror. And while while Sean Payton will be back and it's still under his watchful eye, I do feel like the season is going to be a little bit of a rebirth and uh, the Saints are going to be changing their identity a little bit. You know, yeah. will still be there, and they'll still have their core players, but um, I, I really do think it's been, it's time for a change. And So anyway, I, I think that, that whole big picture, um, I, I feel like Kronk is, is a very small portion of that whole thing where it, it's just time to purge, man. And, and Kronk was part of a, a great period when the Saints won a Super Bowl and uh, the Saints were dominating everyone in the Dome, and they were the greatest show on turf. And, and it was fun to watch, but um, we're, we're moving on from that. And, and hopefully, you know, the, this future will have good memories too, but it, it's got to come with a different song. It's time for that rebirth. It, it kind of feels like that Katrina season in a way. I mean, it does. much less dramatic, but, um, It'll... But, but, you know, Bounty Gate was a historical event. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It, I'll be interesting to see – um, I don't think Sean Payton is not going to take a sort of fu position publicly towards the NFL, but I'll be interested to see how the Saints play in 2013 and if he's able to infuse his anger and resentment. And believe me, you know he has it: anger and resentment that he has towards the NFL. If he's able to some some kind of way transfer that to the Saints. And they play with a sort of purpose and anger that maybe you can kind of detect it if they maybe they run up the score a little bit or they're just you know it'll be it'll be interesting to see because Sean Payton is that's one of his specialties is motivation and that sort of thing and we'll see if he's able to transfer that onto the field uh, in 2013, Andrew. That'll be it'll you be know, really. You know, I I really think Sean Payton is going to come away from this a better coach. Um, because, you know, I, I think any time I mean, you, you just look at what he's done. I mean, he's gotten in the best shape of his life, I mean, in his, of his coaching life, certainly. He's running marathons. I mean, if you've seen him out in public, I mean, he looks like he's in great shape. And I, I think he's really dedicated himself to getting healthy. Um, you know, he's dedicated himself to 
Um, while he spent time away from the game, you know, he, he, he has publicly said that he sits in front of a TV, watches the Saints game in quiet, and has a notepad, and he's just taking notes. And um, sometimes time away can be helpful. And, and certainly yeah. I think he'll be a little rusty maybe when he starts. Um, but I do think that time away, um, it's kind of like, you know, it, a guy that's biding his time. You know, it's like this yeah. guy that, that has that much talent. When you give him that much time to prepare, um, you know, sometimes when he comes back, he comes back even better. And I really, I, I personally think, based on what I've seen from Peyton during his time away from the Saints, I mean, I would say he would became a worse coach if, if he was 300 pounds. You know, yeah. if, he, if he's on a couch and he wasn't doing anything and, and you know, he came back and you, you could tell that he just ate a bag of chips every day and sitting on the couch and doing nothing. Um, but he's really focused himself and dedicated himself. And so I really think he's going to come back refreshed. I, I think he's going to come back pissed off and motivated. And I really do believe that um, that's going to make ultimately make him a better coach, which is I, I, that should sound be a warning signal to yeah. everyone in the, the NFC South the in, that the we're not going to be fucking around next year. The interesting thing to me is Sean Payton is one of those guys, and I think all great coaches are kind of like this. They're, they 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 tinker, you know. Bill Belichick is always like he's going out to visit with Chip Kelly and say, hey, Chip Kelly, you're running this hurry up. What the fuck is this? I'm going to take some of this. I'm going to use it with Tom Brady. And I think Sean Payton's like that. And with a year away from it, Andrew, where you're not, where he's not worried about, I got a game plan every week. I got to, you know, make sure everybody's in line and, and you're in the grind of the year. I wonder, you know, not that he's going to come and, you know, get Tim Tebow off the scrap heap or anything completely radical, but I wonder if he's going to drop in some wrinkles for the Saints, and we're talking in like 2013, and it's like week three, and I'm talking to you, and you're like, Ralph, this shit they're running off, I hadn't seen this before, and and I'm not even making a suggestion of what it will be, I'm just saying that he, my guess is the way Sean Payton is, he's tinkered and he's thought of some things, and he's going to drop them in, that are going to be completely new and different and not just little bitty wrinkles. I mean things that are people are going to be like, wow, the Saints are doing that now, you know, which, you know, will be a good thing for 2013. It sucked that he wasn't around for 12, but, you know. Well, I mean, look, he's had a lot of time by himself. We know he's kind of a, a wizard, mad scientist, offensive yep. genius. And when, when you're a head football coach, you're very much in a bubble. You know, you don't have time to really – beyond just studying the tape and studying your opponents, you don't really have time to develop your offense, see what other colleges are doing or other NFL teams are doing. And you're like, man, I really like that. And I could even tweak this thing and this thing to make it even better. Um, Sean Payton has had an immense amount of time to do that. Watch TV, watch football. You know, he's watched a lot of football. He's watched a lot of games, a lot of college games. Um, And so, I really believe that based on the amount of time he spent doing all that stuff, um, you make a great point, and I fully agree with it, that he's going to come with some stuff that he's had the time to, to kind of build that when in the bubble as a head coach, he may not have had the time to, to think outside the box and come up with this stuff. So um, hey, you, we, I, we may see some wacky stuff from him, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting. But one last thing before we hit the road, Andrew, as we've gone way over 25 minutes than we always do in the off. We're like, we're going to do it. It's, it's, that'll get us 20 minutes in the off. These people are like, we're, we're at an hour. Um, 
Atlanta, Seattle. Um, is Atlanta going to have another glorious playoff disappointment that will the tears will taste so so sweet on Sunday afternoon? Is that going to is that going to happen? I think I think Atlanta wins the game, but I, I there is hope. Yeah. I think that Seattle and the way they're built, they have a real shot. Um, now the Clemens injury hurts really bad because um, you know the amount of pressure that he gets. I mean, he's an elite rusher, um, and you know we talked about um, you know having a, a defensive player that shifts a game plan around. Um, so you know the impact that that makes, and so. I'm not having him is going to be tough, but they do have a good defense. Atlanta does not match up well against them. Um, Atlanta's not good stopping the run. Marshawn Lynch is as good as there is, and Seattle mauls people in the running game. And I, I think Atlanta is going to take a beating in this game. Um, so even if they survive it um, and they have to go play, God forbid, they have to go play the 49ers the next week, um, I think they're going to be real beat up. Um, you know, assuming the Niners beat the Packers, which is no given. Um, but I, I think the Niners are, are just physically going to come in there. And, and, and if the Falcons have to play two games in a row like that, I, I just don't think they stand a chance. So, uh, but, but I think the matchup's good. The, the, the reservation I have is I just have a hard time picturing Russell Wilson um, winning back-to-back road playoff games as a rookie. And that, that, so that's the X factor for me. Um, but I definitely think the Seahawks have a shot. Um, but my my favorite right now in the NFC is the 49ers. I really feel like with Kaepernick, yeah. they have added a wrinkle to their offense to make them just a tiny bit more explosive, which they needed, and that defense is just scary. And they yeah, run and the ball well, and I, I really think that they, they would come into Atlanta and kick the shit out of them. Well, and I think I think Green Bay, to a, you know, they're going to have even a sort of, the same difficulties the Saints had against the 49ers. I mean, the Saints sort of figured it out last year in the playoff game because their offense was at an all-time level. They got the 49ers blocked, and Drew Brees got hot, and they got themselves back in the game after having a terrible first quarter. But the Green Bay has shown when they went to – I mean, I know everybody remembers the fact that, you know, the bad call they had in Seattle that cost them the game. But in that first half, Aaron Rodgers got sacked eight times. So their line – stinks and Aaron Rodgers his mobility and the fact that he's the best quarterback in football covers up a lot of their shittiness on their offensive line and I just think if San Francisco can get ahead of them I think they'll pound Aaron Rodgers into the dirt you know I don't even I don't even think the Packers are going to try running into the 49ers really I think they real yeah I think they know that, that, that they can't do it and I think they're going to spread it around. They're, they're going to spread them out, you know, four wide. And Aaron Rodgers is going to say to his receivers, get open. I'm going to get rid of the ball as quickly as I can. Um, you know, Matt, we know McCarthy is pass happy anyway. And uh, I fully agree. I think Rodgers is going to take a beating. He's going to take get sacks. He's going to throw picks. And I think it could get ugly. Yeah. Um, I, I just I have this feeling that it's going to be um... – I have a feeling it's going to be Atlanta, San Francisco, and it's going to be That's just. My pick. And um, I know a lot of people will say they're torn, but uh, if it's Atlanta, San Francisco, but I won't have any problem rooting for San Francisco because while Saints fans, we may hate San Francisco, Andrew. San Francisco fans don't give a shit about us. 
I don't want Atlanta going to the Super Bowl in New Orleans because I have to deal with those people twice a year till I'm in the dirt. You know, I'm I look. None of us like the 49ers. Uh, that that's clear. I mean, the way the last two years have played out, um, the, a lot of bad blood has developed yeah. between us and them. Um, you can't compare that with. And I know we've had some history at the 49ers dating back to the NFC West, but you can't compare that to the history of the battle for the South of Saints Falcons, and which to me, argue, arguably, that rivalry was at an all-time high this year. Um, just in terms of yeah. Atlanta truly talking about if we're going to have a chance in the playoffs, we've got to get over that hump of the Saints. The Saints were washed up and, and they were done this, pretty much all season. And Atlanta was still talking stuff like, you know, the Saints were uh, a postseason team. Um, and, and so I, I think they were very much in their head and, and looking. It, it, it's, it still, to me, remains the biggest, the most underrated rivalry in sports. Um, well, and it's so. And- and let I mean, me say, for them to come into New Orleans and win, for me, it would just be a disaster, especially yeah. after Alabama the last two years. I mean, it, it, for, from a fan sporting perspective, um, it's been in the Miami Heat won in the NBA. I mean, it's just like, could, <laughs> oh. could the year in sports like possibly get personally worse for me? Well, well, I, I will say this about Atlanta, is that. You know, we we talk about these last three years for the Saints, and look, it's been awesome. They went thirteen and three, eleven and five, and thirteen and three, the before this year. So that's thirty-seven wins. That's the second most. It's tied for the most wins in the NFL. But the Saints, they had a Super Bowl victory, uh, a playoff win against Detroit, and an all-time classic playoff game against San Francisco. That's really going to live on, I think, and you're going to unfortunately be seeing it on NFL films and such, and it was, the ending was painful, but it, I mean, if you're just a fan and you're not a fan of the Saints or San Francisco, you watch a playoff game, you're probably like, holy shit, this is one of the best playoff games I've ever seen. So, the Saints have 37 wins, a Super Bowl, and a playoff win, and all that stuff. Atlanta, Andrew, they have 30, they've gone 13-3, and 10-6, and 13-3. and If they don't win against Seattle, they're going to have 36 wins over three years and no playoff wins to show for it. I mean, that would just be horrific for their fan base and delicious for us. Yeah, and I, I think how do they rebound from that? Um, you know, I think it's going to be hard for Atlanta to duplicate what they did this year. No, you can't. Um, it's it's hard. Right. To, it's it's really really hard to duplicate. 13 wins. I mean, even the Saints showed that. They went 13 wins. They won the Super Bowl. They won 11 games the next year. But really, that was with duct tape uh, and Drew Brees bailing their, out, bailing their ass out a bunch of times late in games. And it finally caught up with them in Seattle. That 11-win Saints team, Andrew, was really more like a 9-win team that got by on the we-just-won-the-Super-Bowl motherfucker swagger. Um, And it just – you don't win. You just don't – you know, it's not college. You don't just – you don't just churn out double-digit wins on the assembly line. Um, So it'll be interesting, but I'm going to – I'm gonna say I'm gonna say see I'm gonna say Atlanta I'm gonna say Atlanta's gonna get it ever so slightly. But uh Andrew, as always, people go to his website. He's got the Saints final grades. It's off season, but he's still churning out stuff. 
Um, and I know you, I know you want to read. You're reading columns because I got 600 million emails from you on my last column, and the Saints weren't even playing. So I know you still want your Saints stuff. Um, so go to go to thesaintsnation.com. Andrew, as always, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you down the line when hopefully Atlanta has been eliminated and we can drink the, the tears of sadness. Uh, if, if that happens, Ralph, I will drink a pint of rose and bars, but... Oh, delicious. All right, thanks, Andrew. So long. For Andrew Juice, for Ralph Marlboro, so long. See ya. <laughs>